Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Welcome to Tommy Solo's Famous Friends. This is where I get to chat with people who I've connected with over the years in the world of arts and entertainment. And today, I'm very happy to have with me award-winning singer-songwriter, session guitarist, Mr. Bernie Labarge. Welcome to the show, Bernie. Thanks a lot, Tommy. Nice to uh, be here. Well, it's absolutely my pleasure. So, I know that you have been involved with a lot of high-profile acts. You've played with a lot of top-shelf players. You've... You're an award-winning artist, and you've had a huge single, uh, Dream Away, in 1981 and so on, and your career has seen a lot of highs, but somewhere along the line, you got interested in playing. What inspired you to get into music in the first place, Bernie? Oh, it's nothing out of the ordinary, Tommy. I'm old enough to remember seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan's show, and that was enough for me to uh, really want to approach playing the guitar. I saw George Harrison, and I went, I'd like to be that guy. And then, you know, my, my family was a musical family. We had lots of records and, and music in the house, nothing professional, but there was a piano in the house. My mom and dad both like have great voices and very good taste in music. And there was always music around. So I definitely was leaning towards that. And then George just kind of put the, put the topping on it. And I knew what I wanted to do for the rest of my life when I was 11. So you started actually playing guitar at 11. Did you have your own guitar then? Well, I then? started my lessons. Yeah, okay. I, well, I just started taking lessons at 11. Yeah, I got my K acoustic guitar and took about, I don't know, maybe six months worth of lessons. And then the uh, Mel Bay guitar course, uh, I think I was in grade three or four in the course. And it was like uh, it, the songs in it were too, uh, too lame for what I was looking for, you know, they were like you know, polka tunes or things like that. It was good for learning how to read notes, but um, I wanted to play like as soon as Satisfaction came out and all that kind of stuff. It was like, nah, I think I'll try to take it from here. And that was it. I stopped taking lessons and the rest of my life was spent learning by ear. I know what you mean. I didn't even take music class in high school because I just didn't. When I went to high school, there was you, you couldn't play guitar or anything anyway. It was just uh, horns and, and drums. That was about it back then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah. There's not very many music classes in school anymore, so that's too bad. But So your oh, career... Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah, okay. Your yeah. career basically got started in around 1967. So did, who, yeah. who got you into the professional side of it? Well, I was playing in a basement band in Burlington, and I went to school with a guy named Johnny Johnson, and uh, we're still best friends till the day we die. And he 
was kind of like a, a star amongst the kids in, in the school because he was doing TV commercials. His dad, Bernard Johnson, was an opera singer. He had his own CBC TV show way back when and um, that kind of stuff. So he was a celebrity in Burlington. So his kids, a couple of the kids did commercials and stuff. So Johnny was like this guy, right? So he would show up like occasionally for class because he was always away from class. So I would help him with his homework and we became good friends and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, Johnny ended up joining a band that was called the Royal Bank, B-A-N-K-E. And he was, I went and saw him play. He was absolutely amazing. He had this tenor voice. He sounded like a girl. He could do all the, the girl songs that wrote then, like Jefferson Airplane stuff and, and all that. So he was a great rhythm player and the band was fantastic. So anyway, uh, I was playing in this basement band and I guess wind had gotten around or word had gotten around that uh, I was a good player or something. And Johnny came down to our basement rehearsal and then liked what he heard. And he told the manager of the band that he liked me and they were having issues with their lead guitar player at the time, which was fortunate for me. So as he left, I took the place and the Royal Bank had, we were kind of big shots in Burlington, like even though we were very young and stuff, it was a really good band. And we got, you know, an agent and we did actual gigs and stuff like that and toured around Ontario and whatever. And so that's what I consider to be professional because I actually got paid. It might have been 10 bucks, but, you know, at least I was on the road, getting dressed up in stage clothes and playing three sets and, you know, that kind of stuff. So I consider that my first foray into the professional world. So that's how that started with Johnny Johnson. Well, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Very serendipitous. Yeah. So ultimately, so. you ended up signing with WIA, Warner, Electra, and Atlantic. Um, I, that's a lot of water under the bridge before me meeting Johnny and, and me signing with we, I'll tell you. But yes, that's true. Yeah. Uh, and so then... A lot of play in the bars. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's back in the day. And I actually did a series called Rock and Roll Stories from the Bar because that was really where a lot of us cut our teeth and, and tightened up and then developed so you our could chops. play six nights a week back then. I did that for 10 years, 50 weeks a year. Yeah, and then there were a lot of gigs too. Like I can remember playing in places like Thunder Bay where you were booked for two or three weeks solid in, in the same place. So playing in the bars six nights a week back in the day was an ample opportunity for guys like us to sharpen our skills, that's for sure. There was a lot of water under the bridge for you before you signed. Yep. Now, how, oh, yeah. how did you get signed with Warner? Was it through somebody who knew somebody or? Uh, no, I went around knocking on doors. I made a bunch of demos and I was doing uh, about 19, maybe 1977 or 8. I got a phone call from a friend of mine named Paul Benton, who I had played with a few times in Hamilton. I was living in Toronto at the time and he called me up and he was becoming the musical director for a television show called Smith and Smith, which was filmed at CHCH in Hamilton. And the Smith and Smith people were Steve Smith and Morad Smith, husband and wife. And Steve is now known as Red Green. So the Smith and Smith show was a series. And Paul asked me to be the guitar player on the series right out of the blue. Like I was, I had, I was broke in Toronto, just like trying to get work. I hadn't been in Toronto for very long at all. So I left Hamilton 
And then I end up getting a gig in Hamilton when I moved to Toronto. So that's the way it works. I ended up on that show and it was recorded. The music was recorded at Grand Avenue Studio in Hamilton. And the Lanois brothers, Danny and his brother, Bob, God love him. They owned the studio along with Bob Deutsch. And so that's how I met Danny Lanois. And then um, as that show progressed, I had been writing and I, I'd been doing some demos and stuff, and I'd been playing them for Danny. I'd, I'd been doing demos in Toronto. And then um, I played some for Danny, and then Danny said, I'm thinking of getting into production. <laughs> Imagine Daniel Lanois saying that to me. Okay. So he didn't even know what he was up to. So he was just starting. So he says, I'm thinking of getting into production, and you know, I'm going to come over to your place and play me what you got. So I had some stuff and uh I, I sat in front of my Wurlitzer piano i wasn't even at the guitar so i sat and played him a couple of tunes and he liked them and uh, so uh he took me under his wing and danny and i did maybe 12 or 15 demos together so we got a package together and then uh, i started knocking on doors with this package and the envelope ended up you know at wea as well as every other place and I got a call from Jim Campbell, who was the A&R guy there. I went in, sweating bullets, and talked to him, played him some more stuff. So they signed me for a single. And then uh, that's how Dream Away happened. There you go. Yeah, and that song was a big hit for you in 1981. Yeah. It's still played, on, still played on radio today. And I still hear it occasionally. Yes, I do. very easy to find on, on YouTube as well, so... Absolutely. And thank goodness for the internet. Yes, yes. The, the checks aren't as big as they used to be, but nonetheless, it's had a lot of legs, that song. Yeah, that's a whole other conversation about how unfair the remuneration system is in the digital streaming world. I'll tell you. Yeah, but, uh, for sure. Yeah, it'd be nice to be like a Bob Dylan or a Bruce Springsteen where you could just sell your catalog and retire on that. But <laughs> meanwhile, the rest of us are, are hoping we get a, a check big enough to buy some craft dinner this month. Yeah. Definitely. But that's <laughs> yeah. what you get for not being Bob Dylan or Bruce Springsteen. So. Yeah, I guess so. We should have we should have worked a little harder. Got some more plastic well, surgery yeah, and you know worked out some that, more. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I actually had a, another guitar player tell me because and I was in pretty good shape. I was I've been a an avid martial artist for most of my life, but he says you should pump your arms up oh. more. I'm like, why? <laughs> why would why? I why would I do that? You know? Uh what so was much, the reason? Why did he want? Why did he want that? I, he's an eccentric guy. I think he just thought that I would be more successful if I was more buff. I don't know. And I just holy moly! I wish it was that. Uh, that's yeah, simple. And yeah, I, I know that's that's not true. I figure that you know most of us are as <laughs> successful as we want to be. And if I really, really, really <clears throat> wanted to pound the pavement and so on, then I could have been more successful. But you know, we live our lives, and we are who we are. And uh, I think that everything that's happened to all of us has taken us to where we are today. And hopefully that's a happy place. That is a martial arts thing that you're talking about there. That's part of your philosophy, I would imagine, because I don't think like that, but that's how you think. And I think hard work doesn't even pay off sometimes, and sometimes it lands in your lap. But it does help to have some talent not as much these days. It's not that necessary with the advent of laptop computers and pro tools, but it's uh, back then, like, you know, you might get signed, but 
you had to prove yourself. Like once you're on the big stage, you only get every time you're on stage, it's your first and last shot. I mean, like you have to prove yourself every time you play. Like there's there's never a time when you can just relax and, and you know, phone it in. That, at least that never happened in me. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Yeah. I mean, if you... Yeah. And when I say you're as successful as you want to be, I also take that from a different angle. If you're going to play mm-hmm. a gig in front of people, you know, yes. uh, you better be rehearsed and you better be polished because... Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to see you forget the words to Mustang Sally and trip over the guitar <laughs> solo from, you know, uh, from what, Stormy Monday or whatever. You know, yeah. people, if you're going to be singing the blues, you better have the blues and your band better be tight. Yes. Now, on the other hand, there does come a point when you're a big star and just the fact you're in the building is a very good start you know for you in the crowd because they're already on your side you're not uh, having to sell yourself so there is that part but uh, you know it doesn't like you know you'll hear after you're gone to a concert with a, a big star there will be people that are going man that just blew my mind and there's other people going eh, you know i've seen that guy 13 times and this wasn't so hot you know so it's all of that as well but charisma and stuff like that definitely comes into play if you're uh, you know, like say you went to see somebody that you absolutely loved and he had a uh, cold or, or like if you went to see Jeff Beck and he had just sprained his finger or something like that, you'd give him a break, you know, because you know how great he is. But if it was, uh, you know, some guy you'd never seen before who showed up with a sprained finger and didn't sound so good on guitar, you would just think that guy wasn't very good. Yeah. Yeah. You know abs- what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. I actually broke my yeah. uh, pinky on my fretting hand oh, probably 10 years ago. Ooh, uh, yeah. I don't use mine, so that, that wouldn't matter. <laughs> well, this was, uh, I was actually sparring and, and I, I broke it and dislocated Ooh. it. And at that time, I, I was just playing for a living. I wasn't doing anything else. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't, oh, that stinks. I couldn't just stop, but I thought there's no way I'm going to go out there with just my two fingers ah. and, you know, mess that up. So I actually hired another guitar player to play all the rhythm and then I played two finger solos on lead guitar and I sang lead vocals to get through the gigs. Oh, but, uh, you know, my thing was there's no way I'm going to go out there and fumble all over my guitar because I can't do it right. You know, and I, I realized I, yeah. could, I could solo with two fingers and keep it simple, but I wasn't able to play anything else. So I'm not going to do this and make myself look stupid and, and make the people leave, you know. I mean, it's this would be like, you know, when I was doing session work and, uh, you know, like I, I would be called in to play all the parts that his pinky finger would have played. <laughs> <laughs> and I would have to nail it. <laughs> yeah. So that's another another thing I wanted to ask you about. How did you get into session work? That was like the same thing, knocking on doors and sending tapes around like good friend of mine, uh, his name is Johnny Rutledge, not Johnny Johnson, but Johnny Rutledge, who is one of the best singers that ever came out of this country. And uh, he lives in Chicago now, but he uh, just fantastic singer and ran a Django company in Chicago for years. So, and a superb guitar player. So when I was playing in bars in the seventies, Johnny was playing in bars in the seventies too. He was in a band called Shadow Facts and they were just fantastic. So anyway, Johnny, I, like I started hearing him on the radio, I, like his voice was very recognizable to me. So 
heard him on the radio and I phoned him up and went, Hey, Johnny, and I heard you singing a jingle for a beer company or something. And he went, yeah. So, and I went, well, I've been doing some jingles. I was doing jingles at Grand Avenue studio with Danny Lanois, as well as my demos and stuff. Like I was doing a lot of car commercials and local ads, regional ads. So I had like 50 of them on tape and I told Johnny, you know, I had some stuff and how did you end up doing jingles in Toronto? And he went, well, here's a list of like 50 different jingle companies in Toronto. So I looked them all up and made 50 copies of my best of my car commercials and stuff and sent them off to them. And, and that was it. And the phone rang one day. And uh, that was <laughs> the funniest story right there. Like very first time I get called for a jingle in Toronto. It was like unbelievable. My hands are shaking and everything. So it's this jingle company and they go, so we heard your tape. Sounds good. Uh, do you want to do a jingle tomorrow? And I went, yeah. And they went, do you play classical guitar? And I went, this is one of the hardest things I'm ever going to have to say, but because you're the first person that's ever told me to do a jingle in Toronto, but I don't want my first session in Toronto to be me playing classical guitar because that's not really my strong point. So uh, I'm going to have to say no. So fortunately, I think they appreciated my honesty and I got a call from them, you know, the next week to come in and play some electric and whatever. So uh, everything started from there and very, very, very slowly. There's so many stories I can tell you, Tommy, about like these, they're serendipitous in, in hindsight, but there was a lot of work involved at the time. Like, so just from playing around with different bands, playing the odd jingle and, and things like that, my name was getting around in Toronto and I, I was also singing uh, the odd jingle and whatever. So um, I connected with Jack Richardson, producer for the Guess Who and uh, Canada's first famous producer yeah he's i got hooked up with jack yeah he's from london here he is from london yeah and so uh you know i started working with jack and jack his engineer was dave green and i ended up doing a bunch of records like um session work with jack playing on other people's records and so because of that jack and dave green were friends with a guy named don gillis who was going to be the musical director for this new Jim Henson show called Fraggle Rock, which was going to be starting to get done in Toronto. So I get this call to audition for this new Jim Henson show called Fraggle Rock. And I know this is a huge thing. So I had to audition. There was, you know, probably 50 or 60 guys who probably had to audition for it, I think. There was at least two anyway. So I ended up getting the audition. And doing the Fraggle Rock show. So I forget what the original question was, but it has something to do with just things showing up. But I was prepared for it because of all the legwork I'd done. So this goes back to the uh, being prepared. You know, it wasn't like I knew what songs they were playing, but I was prepared for the pressure. I was prepared for working on my feet, you know, like just pulling things out of the air. You know, when people asked me to play a solo and you know, so like it was like, you know, you had your antenna up 100% of the time when you yeah. were doing this. And I loved every second of it. So, yeah, you didn't find your success by sitting at home in the basement. You're a very hardworking guy. You knocked on doors, sent out resumes and pounded the pavement as much as you possibly could. Well, that's how it worked for me anyway. Yes, yeah. I did it from the, the bottom rung for sure. 
Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's kind of reminiscent of the Dominic Triano story. You know, he, yes. he was one of those guys who started out young as well, and, and his name was getting around Toronto, and that, that led to yeah. everything else. Now, I yeah, know for you've, sure. you've shared stages with people like Dominic Triano, Ronnie Hawkins, John Kay from Steppenwolf, John Sebastian, David Cassidy, Alex Lifeson, obviously, with the Dexters. And you've played mm-hmm. guitar with and fronted a lot of acts, including Rain, Sweet Blindness, Cassandra mm-hmm. Vasek, the Dexters, mm-hmm. the George Oliver Band. Now, these two, um, the Irish Rovers and Zwall. Now, I know Zwall. He's a, he's a really, really nice guy, real sweetheart. Um, yes, did you do a show with him yet? I've interviewed Zwall, and he was part of Good. my Christmas special as well. Good. Uh, yeah, Good. Wall, Wally is, is a great guy. Wally is great. Yeah. I'm, oh, my God, yeah. I'm particularly curious about the Irish Rovers. Uh-huh. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So was that session work or did you actually play live with them as well? I played live with them for eight years as well as doing everything else in between. But so like I wasn't just on tour with them. Like there were like three tours a year. But I started out this as another Jack Richardson thing. So I ended up, I was playing on some Irish Rovers albums because Jack produced, wasn't at a party and and whatever. So, and, and their albums, you know, back from Wasn't That a Party on. So, uh, let's see, how did that work? They were doing a TV series in uh, Toronto, and I got the call to play guitar on that uh, show. So, I was the electric guitar player on the show, and Michael Krieber was the piano player on the show, and he was also in their live touring band. And so, we did the show for maybe one or two seasons. And then Michael Krieber phoned me from Vancouver one day. I was living in Stouffville, I think, at the time, and, and said he was thinking of leaving the Rovers and joining this band with a, a girl singer, and her name was Katie Lang. So uh, would I be interested in taking his place in the Rovers? And I said, well, you're the piano player. I play guitar. He said, I think you'll be able to cut it. I think they'll be okay with this. So... uh Anyway, that's what happened. So they ended up replacing Mike, uh, Mike Krieger with me. And I was, like I said, I was on the road with them for eight years and uh, never laughed so hard in my life. And they treated me like gold and I played some incredible places. Yeah, you know, you are the epitome of a true professional when it comes to playing because it doesn't seem to me like you are adverse to playing any particular style. And I can tell you from my no. own experience... I used to host a St. Patrick's Day show here in London at a, at a very popular <clears throat> pub for a number of years. And I, mm-hmm. for me, every year I had to relearn all the Irish and Celtic songs because they were just yep. so, so challenging. And, you know, Definitely. I, I, my hat's off to you for being able to do that as a regular gig because it, those are weird time signatures and, you know, it, it's just... It's fun to listen to, and for a lot of guys, yeah. it's torture to try and play. You know? Yeah, it was at first, but they were very, uh, very giving, and uh, 
yeah. And I ended up with them, like I said, for eight years. And they, yeah, yeah, we played great. And I loved playing those tunes because, like you said, they sound simple when you're sitting in the audience tapping your foot, but there's a lot of weirdness going on in, in them. And I played acoustic 99% of the time in that band. I only played electric for the, uh, the solo and wasn't at a party. So I got my strumming chops together because it is like rhythm guitar city when you're playing those songs, right? Tempos are nice and fast and lots of fast chord changes and stuff. It was really a lot of fun. And those guys, as people, they don't come any better than that. Excellent, excellent guys. It's always nice when you can get along with the guys in the band. Yeah. That's what I strive to do all the time. Yeah, I think that's, that's why the- I was in 17 bands. As soon as I wouldn't see any friction or wasn't improving, I would just start looking for something else. Yeah, I think it's a challenge that a lot of us face. And I had a hard time sure when, I, uh, when I started out playing on the road because being a kid from a small town, you know, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're in Toronto and then you find out that everybody in the band is an idiot but you. You know, at least from from your own <laughs> yeah, perspective, really and they're all they're all thinking that you're the idiot. You know, oh, yeah, and uh, yeah, and it just that's you know, the beauty of it. And when you're living with all these people in the van for so many hours at a time, how many times did we drove from Brampton one night? We were playing at the old Plaster Royale, and we had to drive from Brampton right. to Thunder Bay overnight. Beautiful. So that yeah. we could get to Thunder Bay in time to yeah. set up for a sound check Sunday afternoon before the dinner crowd. Yeah. Hi, caramba. You probably didn't even stop for a pee at that it point. Was, That's uh, a long drive. Hardly, <laughs> hardly a stop oh for anything. Oh, my God. Yeah. That is like, that was 22-hour drive. That, that Oh, my goodness. That, oh, yeah. That's a brutal story. Yeah, and it's not even that uncommon a story. I talked to a lot of other guys that quit the business for a while because of it, you know. Well, Thunder Bay, yes, it separated the boys from the men and the women, that's for sure. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Yeah, that was a long time to be in a van. There's no doubt about that. But they like driving there, setting up and playing. That's brutal, brutal. Been there before and that's a young person's game. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Yeah, it certainly is. So it's nice that there are places that you can play these days where it doesn't go so late you know there's different gigs like festivals and in soft yes i know i remember saying that to the dexters right i was so far ahead of my time like 10 years ago like saying to them our crowd is like you know they're not getting any younger i mean there are young kids in the crowd but like people that know us as guys that want to come see us play uh you know like why don't we play a nine to one or eight to twelve or something right and Nobody would go for it because it's hard to sell beer after the band's gone, right? So they would have had to go, like we'd play 8 till, if we did it, which it never happened. But say if we played 8 till 12, they'd have to get a DJ or something, which wouldn't be impossible. That was my suggestion. You don't need two bands or anything. It just because everybody's drunk by then and the young kids are there and they like DJs anyway. So that was my suggestion, but it never worked. And now, you know, everybody's playing 7 till 11 now and it's like, Oh, I decided to retire at the wrong time. <laughs> yeah, it's just so, it's weird how it has taken so long for things to turn around because, yeah, that, Honest that always goodness, made sense. Who the heck wants to be playing at two o'clock in the morning? I know. Yeah. And especially if you have to drive for two hours to get home. Well, exactly. Yeah. And the same with the crowd. Like, they, you know, why do they want to drive drunk at two o'clock in the morning and, you know, go to work the next day? Like, it's impossible. 
Yeah, the best New Year's Eve gig I ever had was uh, probably around 10, 11 years ago. Got a call to play in Harrow, Ontario on the Main Street. And it was on, uh, on a flatbed stage with the salamander heaters. And yeah. it was great because they dropped the ball at 10.15. And You're so kidding then, me. Yeah, so then we were at, done. In Harrow, like just outside of uh, Amherstburg. Yeah, it's near Windsor, and for our American friends, close to Detroit. I Windsor, love Harrow. Yeah. I know exactly. Tornado, yeah. Tornado City. Yeah, yeah, boy, <laughs> right in Tornado Alley, that's for sure. For sure. We were done by 10.30 that night. and That's uh, ridiculous. Got, I was back home on my couch with a beer by about 12.30, you know, on New Year's Eve. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, you know, and to think that... All the years before that, there's no way you're getting home anywhere near that time, you know, so. Not if you're playing New Year's Eve. I mean, that's like a joke that you just told me. You're playing a New Year's Eve gig and it ended early. Like that's, it's like my dad used to say, phone up the church and ask them what time midnight mass is at, you know, like like that kind of joke, right? Yeah. Yeah. Can we we do it early this year? The old man's got a hangover, yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. Oh, like, what time is uh, yeah? What time is the New Year's Eve gig? Well, uh, what time? Oh, it probably at midnight, you know. Yeah. But no, this is at ten thirty. What? Yeah. We can do two gigs then. Yeah. Well, we just that's what we would have been doing. We would have been looking for another gig like within ninety minutes of Arrow to get another fifty bucks. <laughs> see what's doing in Kingsville. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Let's see what's up in Kingsville. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe they fired sure. the band at ten. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Oh, the Mecca, the music Mecca of uh, Canada, for sure. Kingsville, Ontario. Yeah. Now, I'm curious, were you ever a member of the Hawks, Ronnie Hawkins' band? No, like I never played with the Hawks. No, Ronnie, I was in a band called Kearney, King, McBride, and Lombarge. We couldn't decide on a band name, so we named it after the four guys that were up front. And we used to play downstairs at the old Elma Combo. And Ronnie Hawkins was a friend with some of the guys in the band. This is when I was doing Toronto, too. So Ronnie came up, sang a couple of tunes for this once, and I, that was it. No, I never played with Ronnie. So you're one of the very few guitar players in Toronto who hasn't played in the Hawks. Apparently so. I remember that was one of those gigs that a lot of guys went through. No, I guess I was in some other bands back then, but no, I never even got a phone call from them. And likewise, I think I'm the only guitarist in London who's never played in Helix, so... That's, uh... <laughs> Anyway, uh, it is what it is, man. So listen, Bernie, this has been great fun. Uh, I want to thank... Don't tell me this is over, is it? Well, it doesn't have to be over. Uh... (laughs) Let's do part two now. I just had a coffee. Oh, well, you've had your second cup of coffee. Awesome. I have Uh, had my second cup of coffee. But no, it's been nothing but my pleasure there, Tommy. So So, uh, I will ask you... do it again sometime. I'll ask you one more thing. Okay. Yes. The world is is a turbulent place to be in these days. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going yeah. on. That's you know we're all kind of at our wits' end to a certain point, and you know we're really COVID fatigued and so on. Is there something that you particularly feel passionate about that you would like to uh, hit on here? You know, it's funny. I woke up this morning and I was hoping that you'd ask me that question, and I've since forgotten what my profound answer was when I was half asleep, but. I would just like it to be a bit more peaceful. And I I wish that uh, all the mean people that came out from under the rocks when Donald Trump showed up would go back underneath them because I don't, uh, 
I found a lot of weird things out there since 2015. And so I would say uh, just if you're somebody that listens to the news and you get overly um, concerned, you know, turn it off for a while because you, you've got to realize that none of this is in your control. Like, oh, you, you just have your little world. And, and if you could be nice to somebody, make them happy. That's about all we can do. Like the big players are the people that are making all the trouble. It's not us. And we can't sweat it. And it's easy for me to say because I get in a funk too because of this. But uh, it really is something we have no control over. So we just need to put out good vibes and, and uh, hope for the best. We have a unique way of doing that. And we always have to remember that yes, music, we certainly do. music is the doctor. Yeah, that certainly helps. And uh, yeah, exactly. Well, God love them. Oh, there's my, there's my doorbell. Perfect timing. Well, listen, Bernie, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. And until next time, cheers. And cheers to you, Tommy. And best of luck with your show. And I can't wait to hear it. You take care now. Well, that certainly was a pleasant conversation. Bernie LaBarge is quite the gentleman, and he is quite the awesome talent, not only as a guitarist, although he made his living playing guitar for other people for most of his career, he is an awesome singer and songwriter as well. His single, Dream Away, was released in 1981, and then it was part of his Bargin' In album from 1984. And you can get all of his music and merch on his website, BernieLabarge.com. Now, here he is, singing lead vocals and playing guitar on his single, Dream Away. Enjoy. So you think you got me shaking Thought you had me all the time Someone's heart will soon be breaking But I know it won't be mine Seems I hardly can remember What you really were about I was sure we'd be together But you never did find out But I can dream away While you slip away I can dream away I can dream away While you slip away I can dream away
Someone's heart will soon be breaking And you know that heart is mine But I can dream away While you slip away I can dream away Oh, I can dream away While you slip away I can dream away Tommy Solo's Famous Friends is a one-man production, meaning that I've done all the work, including guest acquisition, recording, editing, and so on. And hey, if you like the show, why not subscribe and help support us through Patreon at patreon.com slash tommysolo. The theme song for Tommy Solo's Famous Friends is a clip from my original composition, The Burn, all rights reserved. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening, and until next time, cheers. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.